1: Hello, my name is Sabina Brennan and you are listening
0: to Superbrain, the podcast for everyone with a brain. Now, this podcast is all about talking to inspiring individuals about thriving and surviving in life. And a couple of times across season one and season two, I have mentioned my own son as an example of someone who has managed to survive and then go on to thrive. And I thought that it might be nice since I've spoken about him several times and he has very kindly let me speak about him to actually speak to him in person for this episode. So Darren, thank you very, very much for agreeing to be a guest on my show.
2: Oh, no problem at all. I'm really excited. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Okay, so like, where do we start? This is kind of a weird one. I've probably shared your story from when you were a kid about overcoming dyslexia from Mm -hmm. my perspective as a mom. So what I'm actually really interested in talking to you about is from your perspective. I mean, going right back to when you were very young. I mean, I can remember when you were, you know, about four or five, very young at school. Do you have any recollections going back that far?
2: I do have recollections. And I guess I had some wonderful teachers back then who I'd say knew something was up, and they kind of encouraged me in different ways that I could, I suppose, show my ability and thrive. And then obviously I had awful experiences with other teachers who just, even though at that point I had a diagnosis, they never really accepted it and just kind of took frustrations out of me, I suppose. But there were excellent ones, and there were awful ones. I suppose. It's kind of like any part of life, there's great people and there's bad people. I suppose I should say from the start, my dyslexia isn't the same as what people would think dyslexia is. I'm fine with reading. I love to read. I think I've read 30 books this year already. I devoured books. My problem was more with processing. My problem was getting my thoughts down on paper. It was more of a, how would I put it, a wiring issue than an actual, I don't like calling it a learning difficulty. I just see it more as a wiring issue as in like, There's some problem getting the thoughts down onto the paper. There's some disconnect in that way in between. And that was my issue.
0: Yeah, so you said some of them kind of knew something was wrong and kind of did some stuff to help you. Can you recall any specifics of what those kind of things were? Yeah,
2: so I know one teacher in particular, he knew that I struggled with writing. So what he would do was, for good behaviour, usually his reward for good behaviour was he would allow people 10 minutes on the computer. What he used to get me to do was, I hadn't got a diagnosis at this point, but he used to give me time on the computer, not just for good behavior, but when other people were doing exercises, he would allow me maybe do my exercise on the computer to see if that made a difference.
0: Right, uh, okay. A
2: difference to me. And you know, it, it, it was things like that. Like, yeah, I have been treated differently, but in a positive way. Whereas other teachers, I can think of one example in particular, I would come in with my work done and he just tear the page out of the book saying that was crap, do it again literally ripped the page out of the book. It was horrible. Absolutely horrible.
0: My heart breaks.
2: Yeah. And then I, I remember one incident, uh, one teacher, he used to say, I think you were, it was around the time when you were trying to get a diagnosis for me. And bear in mind, dyslexia wasn't really a, a thing that people knew about in the early 90s. And I remember you going into school saying, no, there's something wrong with Darren. There's something, there's something not right. And the teacher said, uh, Mrs. Brennan, we must all just accept that sometimes our children may just be below average.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, I know. No, we can't all be geniuses, but you were actually average, is what he said to me. You know, I was you know anyway, Darren yeah. is average. Yeah, but what it was was you were performing below. Um...
2: Yeah, so handwriting, an issue, and my written skills put me below average, but talking, vocal skills, and comprehension. I. Well,
0: I... what I'd love to kind of tease apart is like, what was it like for you? inside because okay so there's the writing thing right and i do remember i mean i remember when you were starting to learn joined up writing because that's what just jumped out at me there when you were saying Yeah. Well. Yeah. Yeah. Well.
2: <laughs> You're not seeing um, my signature, and that's not a doctor's signature. That's, just, that's
0: just the well, way this I've is what I think is Darren's. These are all the positives. Darren's handwriting really hasn't kind of improved hugely. Well, it has improved, but he doesn't have fancy script writing. But he is now a doctor, and it's perfect writing for doctors. Their writing is meant to be illegible.
2: <laughs> no. This is this is the thing. I would regularly get comments from. Nurses, I'd always say, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry my writing's awful because I still have that thing from school where you'd apologise almost for your homework. But the nurses are all great. It's like, no, it's great. You're the only doctor's handwriting who we can read.
0: (laughs) Well, I suppose this is true because you never mastered that fluency of the joined up writing. I I still can't. And it's still for you. I remember going to someone and them saying what it was, was that for you, every time you tried to form a letter was like the first time. And that's why you had to simplify your thoughts because everything had to go into just Mm -hmm. the forming of the letter. But I remember you were so determined over one summer that you were going to be starting joined up writing in the September, I, this. I, mean, I nearly want to cry at this one, and so you wanted to practice over the summer. I this at all. Well, I got these special little. Oh, the I the
2: four lines, isn't it? And yeah, yeah, with the four yeah.
0: lines, and and you know you could draw to them.
2: do it some of those now. <laughs>
0: On your summer holidays, you you tried and you worked really so hard. And then my heart broke when you went into school and you did it. And this teacher just absolutely destroyed you.
2: Yeah, he tore the page's pages. This was
0: disgraceful. Called you um, careless. Oh, yeah, he was awful. Oh, 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 my God. I was so angry. What year was that? I think that's first class. First first class. I spent my summer studying in first class. There you go,
2: kids. That's what you got to do if you want to be a (laughs) (laughs)
0: Anyway, anyway, I still want to get back inside your head. So that's other people, you know. So you were aware that, you know, your your handwriting was hard, but there was other things. We know like that you don't see patterns and sequences in the same way other people do. Mm -hmm. What did it feel like for you, say, when a teacher was talking about a pattern or when I was trying to get you to do spellings and our times tables?
2: It was exhausting. I can't can't really remember. All that I know now is that I'm almost thankful for the way I see things because I see things differently. And I think that helps me hugely in my career. I I still struggle with the patterns, but I see them in a different way. I don't know how to describe it, but sometimes things just fit and they click and they understand it's the best way of doing it. I do remember, though, the only thing I can remember about those sessions, and you probably remember it, I would fall asleep sometimes when I was trying to do them.
0: Or dance around the place. (laughs) Yeah, I'm like, I'm not dance, but move around the place, not be there and just sit still, sit still for a minute. And I believe that was sort of something that I did wrong because I it was a real learning curve for me because you were my first child. Nobody gives you a manual on how to be a parent. So you don't know if you're doing it right and you don't know if you're doing it wrong. But for me anyway, I knew there was something that was odd because you we could get you to spell mat m-a-t and then i'd say okay now pat and you'd say w-p-q you know you just weren't seeing those kind of patterns and yeah sometimes you keep moving around and, yeah. and and kind of jigging around and in hindsight now that i know a bit more now i've gone on to study psychology and understand the brain a bit more that actually that moving around might have been a way for you to try and get information in you know because different people take information in in different 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 ways and so maybe letting you do that might have been I know I mean I didn't force you to sit down or anything but you did constantly move that was was interesting she had me
2: strapped down to the chair (laughs) eyelids eyelids (laughs) taped open and the images just flashing on the screen. It was like, it was almost some form of like mind control torture.
0: <laughs> but actually, what I do have to say is that's what's really interesting is before you were born, when you were in my womb, you constantly moved. And then when you were an infant, you constantly moved your arms, your legs, just constant movement. And you really struggled to sleep. I'd say
2: it's just sensory perception of some kind. I yeah,
0: yeah, no, absolutely. And now that Darren can answer now, because Darren is a doctor, as you guessed, but he'd know from some of his learning about childhood development around some of these issues. But we did used to have to actually hold you still in our arms to try and let you calm down enough to go to sleep.
2: Yeah, they use those techniques for adults now. They'd use, like, if people are suffering from anxiety or stress, have you heard of the weighted blankets? Yeah. Yeah, it's a calming technique. Adults use it as well. You were doing absolutely the right thing.
0: Thanks, Darren. Um, Because, you know, when you bring up a child that has something like this... That's the first time you told me you don't like it referred to as a learning difficulty or disability. That's what it's kind see, I don't
2: of... see it as that like I see people as learning difficulties as the people who are unable to attain. Now, I don't know if that's a case of the help I was given and the support I was given or just my particular type that I was able to overcome it and go a different
0: but I think you see the way I see that is, which is interesting. Now, the way I see that is, the way you learn certain things didn't follow the same pattern that it would in other people. So, for example, when a child first tries to pour liquid into a cup, <laughs> it'll pour. It'll, <laughs> knows where this is going. It'll pour all over the place, right? So then, the next time they might pour less, and over time, their brain learns where the point is that they stop moving their hand to pull it back. And eventually they learn how to never overfill the glass and they can pour just the right amount of glass. Now, Darren never really learned that. Oh, you'd be
2: glad, glad to know I've just about mastered it. It's <laughs> still, still the odd time where I'll have to bend down onto the counter and take a sip. But... <laughs> It's been a long time since there's been an overflow.
0: Just for, for listeners to explain that. So that's what I'm talking about, the learning. in you know, your brain would normally kind of pick those things up. And for some reason, his didn't. So he would continue repeatedly to spill an overflow. And I became interested in this. And this is how I ended up ultimately really in a career in psychology and brain science. Because I was trying to understand my own child and trying to find a way for him to reach his own potential. And actually, all it is, is his brain cannot pour that juice. The same happened with doors. We learn the force with which you need to close a door so that it doesn't bang. Now, Darren didn't get that and Darren still (laughs) slams doors.
2: The techniques that I did learn are quite good. So Kiva obviously is a speech and language therapist. When I do make spelling mistakes, she would always say that my mistakes wouldn't be characteristic of someone with dyslexia yeah. you know i mean the techniques you said you will always know what i am trying to say even if i can't spell the word you'll always understand what i'm trying to say that's why i wanted to clarify that at the start i don't yeah. feel that i do have the classic one my diagnosis that we got was cerebellar developmental delay
0: i felt exactly that that you didn't fit the dyslexia you were an avid reader but just some things just didn't work. Your brain just did not work in the same way as it did for everybody else. And that made life really sort of challenging for you because you have to fit into a box, a system that has been created assuming that if you do this 10 times with the child, you know, if you get them to say spell a word 10 times over, they'll know how to spell that word. And that didn't really happen for you. Dyslexia is an umbrella diagnosis and uh, whilst it wasn't right, at least it helped us move into areas that we were able to get. Um, Now, the supports actually were useless. I still
2: remember they had me writing with my finger on rough carpet to spell out letters.
0: Yeah. And they had this thing where it was something like write, underscore, repeat, write, underscore. And it was operating on a basis that wasn't touching into what Darren was experiencing or having. So we found someone else and we did make progress. And what was really interesting was, and what we discovered was Darren could get up to spelling five syllable words once all he was doing was spelling the word the problem came in when he had to do something else, like write the word or formally late a sentence or put that word in a sentence and write it. That's where the problems came in. You know, folks, what I want to say is if there's anyone out there listening who has a child that they think doesn't fit, um, I prefer to kind of put it this way, whose brain maybe doesn't work the same way as everybody else's brain does, that, it's kind of up to us as parents to try and kind of figure out that puzzle and try and figure out how their brain does work and try and find ways where they can excel, I suppose. And I think it's just about, unfortunately, we have school systems that operate on the average and there will always be people who are outside of those. I think we've come a long way since even when Darren went to school. I spoke about dyslexia a good bit with Anne Griffin in the episode because her book, it's a book actually, you should have a read Darren. When all is said, it's called.
2: I'll definitely check
0: it out. Yeah, it's about an 85-year-old man making five toasts.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah.
0: But actually, he has dyslexia now. So you can think back to when he was a young child, how that played out. You know, uh, essentially, he was just taken out of school to work on the farm. But he was an intelligent, clever man that found ways to reach his potential but we've come a long way now. I think people are much better at identifying that people who have different brains and learn in different ways have much more potential than people gave credit for. And I always felt that. For me, I didn't care whether you were a bin man or not the Zen rum being Nothing a bin man, but, what, a bin but whatever you want to be. I wish
2: I could have that level of stress. <laughs> <laughs> I'm
1: I not traded, sure you could. traded
0: all
2: for that level of stress.
0: <laughs>
1: I'm yes, not sure you no, can cope, cope
2: with the dirt or the smell.
0: <laughs> okay, so we should track forward a little bit. So can, you're can, I just,
2: can I just say something say yeah. like just something that kind of came to my, my mind when you were talking about it, it was extremely challenging. Mm. It was, and it still is challenging at certain times. I have learned to cope with it for the most part. Now there's times when something might come out of the blue and, and get me that I wouldn't expect. And this is why I don't see it as a disability, it's helped me hugely, absolutely hugely in my current career and, and getting there. I found, like, I don't want to sound like I'm blowing my own trouble or anything. I found medical school easy. Right. Like, it was hard, but I found it easy because I had found everything up to that point so difficult. Yeah. I had learned my techniques. I would learned how to cope with all these challenges already in life. I suppose maybe I was seeing challenges that people wouldn't meet until their early 20s. I was seeing them when I was four or five.
0: And I do want to say to people, right, Darren is a wonderful success story and we'll kind of go through his, kind of his life a bit.
2: No, not yet. I'm not finished yet.
0: As as we talk, no, I know, but... Still a big plan. <laughs> good. But I, I suppose what I want to say is that this wasn't easy. This was not easy when we were living in it and we can laugh at it and, you know, we have a good relationship, but... That's horrendous. It was pretty horrendous at times and Impirable. it was pretty horrendous and it was pretty horrendous for him and it also put a huge strain on our relationship. So if you're out there and if you're dealing with a kid who you think's brain is operating in a different way or you are that child or we're that child, it is difficult, it is challenging. You do what you can to get through it. I do have to say it put a lot of strain on our relationship as mother-son because I had to be that person to try and push you and I was trying all sorts of different things to try and make. They're just
2: trying to support mum, there really wasn't
0: I do remember reading a particular article in the Sunday Times one, um, and that's how we came across the cerebellar developmental delay aspect of it. And that kind of was one of my great spurs. I said, I have to find a way for this child to to kind of reach his potential. And sometimes I got it right, sometimes I got it wrong. Sometimes my temper let me down. No comment. We, yeah, no, this is true. Um, and it was challenging and it was hard. I was trying to learn how to do it. And I, and I have to say, Darren's dad was great. But we suspect that Darren's dad also has a dyslexia of some kind. So there was no way that he could help with this sort of academic side of things because he would have struggled with those things. But he also did fantastic things in terms of sport. For a lot of people with dyslexias or any sort of their brain working a little bit differently or whatever, will have a tendency towards being anxious about new situations or doing things on their own.
2: Confidence was definitely a huge thing for me. And I know that it was almost like a tag team. You helped me with the, the academic bit and dad was able to help with where he was strong, which was sports or engaging in activities that I wouldn't have felt confident or comfortable going. Because all my experiences at that point had been pretty horrible. If you made a mistake, they would be negative towards you. And I suppose that when I was in school, there was a lot of negativity as in you're crap, you're sloppy, you're making mistakes, you're careless. I didn't need to go and experience that in another situation as well. I know that they need to do that to learn. But the way you do it is like, listen, you're doing this and this and this. Great. But if you do this, yeah, it might help all those things as well.
0: I just think anybody who is allowed near children to teach them anything should have to study psychology, human behavior, Beforehand and understand how we learn. We don't need negatives pointed out to us because we're primed to notice the negatives. What we do need is someone to help shape our behaviour, and we learn a little bit gradually. But I suppose also for you then that was complicated in terms of learning.
2: And that, that doesn't mean go and give everyone a participation medal. That takes away from no, well. that's different. No, no, no. Yeah. It's just, it's just, I just don't want someone coming back and saying, "Oh, you can't go." And and a snowflake generation, they have to learn to lose. It's like that's fine, losing but you don't need to be told that you lost because you made this silly mistake. You say, didn't win because you were held back by this.
0: Losing and winning are different to learning anyway, you know, yeah. like it's learning is learning how to do something. I mean, we're not talking about not winning swimming medals, we're talking about learning how to actually swim. But anyway, yeah, so basically Darren wanted to play soccer and Darren's dad ended up doing his coaching certificates and qualifications and managed his soccer team and that's how Darren sort of played soccer the whole way throughout. New things for, obviously, I think those reasons you're talking about actually were challenging. So moving to secondary school was a big challenge for you.
2: Huge, absolutely huge. I had some great teachers and I had some teachers who initially I thought were horrible and awful, but turned out to have my best interests at heart. I know one teacher uh, was my English teacher, actually. She didn't really understand about what was going on with me. So she did a bit of research on it. But I think she was very fixed in her ways. She told me I should do, was it not even pass? It was foundation level English. And sure, I ended up doing honours level English for the Leaving Cert. And I actually, I think I got a B1 in it, you know. Yeah. And um, that was a huge, huge achievement for me. Like even when I was in my my secondary school, I was very lucky my parents were able to send me to a secondary school who kind of catered for everyone. Just after Junior Cert, I, I changed school. And in that school, we had we had actually four English teachers. So we different not for each part of the exam. And my creative writing teacher just really gave me such confidence. I had the imagination, but I could never get it down. And he just helped nurtured me, I suppose.
0: Yeah, we actually felt that the regular school system was failing, Darren, because Darren had challenges writing information down. And a lot of the way regular secondary school worked at that time was you went into your English class and the teacher called stuff out and you wrote it down and that was what your class was and that just seemed to be ridiculous to me and an unnecessary challenge. So I went into the school and I said Darren has a diagnosis of dyslexia and he's, specifically actually we were told that you had a written language disorder and I said to the teachers look, you know, you're clearly reading from some notes. Darren is being exhausted by having to use all all these extra resources to write this information down when you're calling it out. And I said, could you just give him the copies and he could be reading them? And I remember the teacher saying to me, if I have to do that for Darren, I have to do it for everybody. I can't treat him differently. And I'm going, well, he needs to be treated differently. And actually, you know what? Maybe you should be doing it for the other kids. So then like that after junior search, we sent you then to this other school and that's exactly what you did. You got all of the notes in advance. You were expected to have read those notes, before you went into your English class. And then your English class was actually a discussion about the notes. So it was actually much more of an education.
2: Yeah, no, I agree completely. I even remember the business class, it was just incredible. I only wish school had have been like that from the start. And then for the students who struggled on different things, the teachers would actually take time and meet them. Like I remember going in, one of my teachers, I, was, uh, I think it was accounting. I will yeah. go in and meet him at six o'clock in the morning. Because so yeah.
0: you were struggling with it. And uh, he said, right, well, I'll come in and give you extra class.
2: He was just excellent. Yeah. You know, and that all yeah. the teachers were like that.
0: Yeah, no, that made a huge difference. I mean, I was told just to kind of give context here. When we went to secondary school, the first secondary school, I was told that Darren should consider woodwork, metalwork and leave before his junior search. And this is where I say where it gets challenging is Darren had no problem understanding the content. But as we mentioned earlier, we could see that you didn't see sequences or patterns. So that makes things like planning and organizing very challenging. So planning and organizing how you study for exams would have been difficult back then. You've actually now developed that skill and you're, you're very, very good at planning and organizing. But back then, that's where I suppose I came in. Do you remember studying for your juniors, Erich? Tell me how horrible that was for you. <laughs> I think
2: I had a, every single second of my day accounted for in color coordinated charts and flow sheets.
0: Yeah, that's yeah,
2: right. And by, t- by topic. Yeah, it was a. Uh, look, it was the only way I was going to get things done. I, I needed that help.
0: It was so hard for me. I mean, it was hard for me anyway, just doing it, but it was heartbreaking for me to kind of be doing that forcing. But I also think us doing that, this is the way I see it. Tell me if I'm wrong. Um, I remember the day you got your junior cert results and I can still see your face. I think you got the best grades in your class or in your year or pretty close to it. I think I got the
2: highest in my year group, yeah.
0: Yeah, I do remember you saying to me, oh, maybe I will go to college. Because up to that, all oh, you yeah, want no, no. to- even,
2: even when I was in there, they'd be hounding on to you saying, look, Darren, would you not be better off doing the woodwork and the technical drawing and think about maybe a career as a carpenter or a plumber or, or something like that? Yeah. You know? And there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with those trades, but just because you're learning difficulty doesn't mean you should have to do that.
0: But also, you know, drawing wasn't your forte. No. Neither was shutting doors <laughs> or pouring things, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So, Which is really rather interesting, right? So you had that sense. Some people might call it dyspraxia. It wasn't really a dyspraxia. Not, uh, you weren't clumsy and you were good at sport. But definitely I see it as that learning thing about the amount of force and and didn't come in. But then you go on to becoming actually, you know, in certain areas super skilled in Dexterous things. And this is something I'll say to people listening. Darren did like to play a lot of computer games, but there were particular types of computer games. There was strategy games, which I think helped develop your skills and your brain and your ability to oh, I, I
2: I think that they usually helped. They helped with a bit of abstract thinking, they helped with planning. Yeah. And I don't know for video games, but they do develop those skills. For surgeons performing robotic surgery and laparoscopic surgery. There are studies to show that 20 minutes of playing a video game, Call of Duty, for example, uh, the one they used in this one was you roll a ball along a cliff and you kind of keep the balance. But those video games improve surgeons' performance. And sure, look, it's the way surgeons learn now. Like if you go to RCSI, if you're a surgical trainee, you're given a laptop and you're given a virtual reality game to play.
0: Yeah. If you choose some of that technology, you know, those games carefully, definitely, because I remember as well, I remember going to a teacher who taught English and he said, right, okay, Darren's written language or his language was, was quite poor. But he said, when we have discussions in class, about topics. He's streets ahead of the other children. And he sort of said to me, Do you have those kind of conversations at home? Now, we did. We always sort of had those conversations. But I think strategy games, and as you said, you always read, like you loved Churchill and you read his books. And I think the thing is, it's the school system is too constrained. The school
2: system doesn't, it's trying to say that everyone is a square peg. Some people are triangles, some people are stars, yeah. some people are. Uh, rectangles and some people are circles do you know and you're trying to bang everyone through uh, a square yeah. hole
0: and i honestly think there's been progress but i think not everyone has is fortunate enough to have family no, i agree
2: i agree completely i do believe that look i will take some credit for my hard work yes but, but i also have to say that i couldn't have done it without my mum couldn't have done it without my dad and i couldn't have done it without my brother there is no way i would have gotten where i was without the determination of my mum Seeking out the help, looking for it, and when the school wasn't doing what it's supposed to do, going in and cracking the whip and saying, "Listen, you're supposed to be doing this, and you're not doing it."
0: No, that's but, what needs to happen. That's what needs to happen. People need to do that. Otherwise, things don't get done. But I think you shouldn't have to. And my point being, well, you shouldn't have to. But not everybody has parents who have that capacity, and that's wrong. Then that that no, child completely. who has possible huge potential, doesn't get to reach their potential or thinks they have low self-esteem and low self-confidence and ends up actually leaving school and doing something that they
1: don't like. And doesn't make sense. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com.
2: You have people not reaching their full potential. I'd really like to talk about DOR, if that's okay. So DOR was, in my understanding, it might be wrong, but it was a clinical trial that was being run across Europe. I think there was someone in the US who was a billionaire, I think, and his child was diagnosed with dyslexia. And she was being failed by the school system in the same way. And he went to research, developed this program, kind of like an occupational therapy kind of program, I suppose. And he developed into a clinical trial. Now it was expensive. You had to pay to be on the clinical trial, but I know my parents put me on it. And I know that it, the evidence was never conclusive But I know for a fact that I made huge leaps and bounds after doing that. Um, Huge leaps
0: and bounds. I know in certain
2: aspects, in certain areas, there were measurable differences. I know in American football teams in particular and in football players and in sports players, people who did this program, they looked at certain measures before and after. They looked at cerebellum size and other markers and there were differences. They weren't able to show a difference with people with dyslexia. But I think that's because there's so many broad aspects. I think in a subset, it probably did work.
0: Yeah. I I know for me it worked. Definitely. We, we saw huge progress. So uh, basically, that was the article that I read in the Sunday Times about how his daughter had she had actually tried to take her own life on several occasions because she just could not cope with, in a way, the way the world had treated her. And, and it was really distressing. But how he described his daughter, it just made much more sense to me than anything I'd ever read about dyslexia. And this was where cerebellar developmental delay came in. And I read about it and it made perfect perfect. perfect sense to me. Now, you were a teen at this stage. We had to go and have them assess to see. And essentially, it actually blames that the cerebellum is the part of the brain that actually is not working properly. And that then impacts on your ability to write and uses up resources that you should be using cognitively. And basically, yeah, they do a program. It was a very physical program to try and get you to integrate and get your cerebellum working and doing the physical work that it should be doing. We saw huge differences. It was, it was
2: Fun. It was very different to like the before. It was fun. <laughs> I was, well well, it was fun for me, but I, I I know that like if you look at the things that I've been doing up to that point, it was like tracing letters on a carpet or when you could spell a word, you could put a counter over that word to say that you've knocked it off. Do you know, rubbish like that.
1: Yeah, no, it, it was, was it was
2: really insulting almost. It was like treating me like someone with brain damage almost. It's not it was yeah. you Joe know, treat you know, treating me like an idiot, whereas this yeah. one actually it respected my ability so they put me in I suppose a five-point harness and they put me on this floor and I'd have to close my eyes and they would move it in a certain way and I just couldn't keep my balance I'd fall I couldn't do most of the tasks they asked me to do
0: and once you closed your eyes you couldn't hold your balance because it was like you know walk in a figure eight and then close your eyes and walk in a figure eight and you couldn't you'd have to get down and crawl to try and do these oh, yeah. things And so we kind of knew we were on to something that that his balance wasn't working properly. And when we looked at Darren, actually, and you look at Darren when I don't know if you still do it, Darren, he used to sleep with his eyes a little bit open. And when he was an infant, he used to scream every time you'd put him down to sleep. And in hindsight, by the time he was a teen, then what we kind of discovered really was that when he closed his eyes, the room was spinning as if it does when you're drunk. And I remember them then saying, well, what he's done is learned to keep his eyes a little bit open so that he still has some visual point to connect with. Anyway, we did door, and um, we did that for two years. And we used to have to do exercises with Darren every single morning before school and exercises every evening. And they were sort of physical and cognitive exercises together. Yeah,
2: they were. So, So it would be like, for example, I'd have to stand on a wobble board or a balance board. So this is a, a circular disc with a ball in the middle that is very difficult to balance on. And what I'd have to do is I'd have to throw a beanbag on my left hand while counting backwards.
0: So it would get you to do stuff We'll say, like that balance on the wobble board. And you could do that perfectly fine. And then they'd say, right, now balance on the wobble board and count up to 10. And as soon as you start to count... You'd fall off it, so it was oh, that you not break something. <laughs> no, I know, but it was that. That's what we when we really knew we were onto something. It was when you had to combine physical movement with doing something cognitively demanding, and really even just counting in twos. And you were in your teens at that point, and we just realised, oh my god! And that's what made perfect sense then was that when you were trying to write and think. You couldn't do both together. Yeah. And so you develop these huge, amazing aural skills. You would watch movies and you would remember them all off by heart. I do.
2: Do you? Yeah, word for word. I could literally, word for word. And it's the same when I'm studying for something. You know, I can look at a page and I, you know, I could read a whole book, let's say, or read a, an article. In the exam, I would just think in my head, okay, it was on page 105. It was halfway down the page. And that's what the sentence said
0: wow you know yeah. just an
2: ability that, that, that i developed i suppose yeah because i couldn't work with the you know like i know some people would learn i know we're jumping ahead talking about medicine people learn mnemonics for things about different ways i couldn't do that because i couldn't even spell the words i still can't spell some of the words yeah. whereas what i could learn is if i wrote them down on a page and looked at them i'd get them you know i could, I could just imagine that page and that was be it
0: so uh, tracking forward, um, so you go and, and you're going to study for leaving cert, and you've decided you're going to go to university.
2: Oh yeah, well I say I, I, I decided I want to study law. I Probably had a lucky escape because I don't yes. know I, <laughs> law, law, you know law, I- law, law. Like um, I don't know, maybe a barrister would have been good for me. It's good oral skills, but yeah, law, law is a lot of essay writing. It's a lot of letters, a lot of that sort of stuff. So yeah. I don't know if it really would have suited me. But anyway, I want to study law, and then. I got quite unwell in this Christmas of 2006. I ended up in hospital. It wasn't for too long that time. I can't really remember.
0: Oh, you were about 10 days. 10, yeah.
2: I remember I got out on Christmas Eve, 10 days, maybe two weeks in.
0: And I think you might have been in for longer if it wasn't Christmas.
2: Yeah, I think so. And then I I took a bit of while to recover at home as well, about two months. Illness-wise, I don't know what it was. It was a respiratory infection of some kind, but obviously I think it's sepsis as well on top of respiratory sepsis.
0: Yeah, uh, they identified that your immune system wasn't kind of working the way it should at that point. But then you're doing your leaving cert. Yeah, so
2: during my leaving cert year, I actually had nine respiratory infections.
0: Yeah, you got several. Broke my arm. Respiratory infection. I forgot that.
2: <laughs> yeah. So I prepared to do all my leaving cert. I was ready, really, most prepared I've ever been for any set of exams. Two weeks before the exams, I broke my hand. So I had to learn everything again for a scribe. And then during the Leaving Cert, I got sick, very badly sick, yeah.
0: And here's an interesting thing. Like people often said to me back at the time, like, oh, Darren was offered things like, let's give him a laptop. It'll be easier, but it didn't make it any easier. (laughs) And then for the exam. he was offered a scribe, but it has to be one of the most challenging ways to do an exam because you know how embarrassed you are in an exam and you're trying to figure out how to answer something, to actually have to say it out loud to someone is pretty challenging. So Darren kind of refused that and he had figured out all his plans on how he was going to write everything and then he broke his arm and had to use a scribe. And normally if you get a scribe, a
2: month, you, have them you months.
0: get them about four months beforehand and you learn a shorthand of how to work together. So that was a bit of a challenge. Then you got really sick and your last three exams you completed with a really high temperature i remember working with you the night before and you saying mom i don't even know what my own name is yeah i
2: was quite unwell
0: very quite unwell. unwell
2: and yeah. i think my grades in those three exams reflected it but in the other yeah. ones it was all you did great in the other days. Days. Yeah. i was all borderline grays in, yeah. in all of them and then those three kind of just let me down
0: so anyway, you went to university and you decided that you didn't want to do law anymore. You wanted to be a doctor, actually. That first degree was tough to do.
2: It was a very, it was tough. It was very, very tough. For, look, my first year, I ended up getting sick again. From my first hospital admission to the second hospital admission, I had nine respiratory infections. And I ended up in hospital then Christmas again the next year. So I ruined two Christmases. Most people only ruined one. I ruined two. <laughs> two in a row. <laughs> Um, Are
0: you scared to live in daylights? When he says unwell, we're talking nearly dying unwell.
2: No, I was in HDU, I think so.
0: Well, yeah.
2: One step below ICU. Yeah, so. yeah.
0: No, pretty scary stuff.
2: So um, sick again that second time. So that kind of made things difficult in the first year. But after that, it was really tough, but I think I got into my rhythm. I learned how things worked. And I think it was a, the cumulative effect of everything up to that point. And with help from you as well, I still needed help with the organization and everything like that, but the knowledge in class and the learning things, developing my own essays. I still remember walking around the back garden where I'd have done essays and the way I learned them was I'd put a key word for each paragraph. And then if I was able to remember that key word, I could then remember that paragraph. I remember I got 100% in one of those exams that John heard of in college. In Trinity, like a 70 was 100%. And I remember getting 100% in some of those exams. But what it was, was I had your support But I also had learned how to study, I suppose. And other people were there using their old leaving cert study methods, whereas I had developed these methods that worked for me that weren't just suitable for leaving cert. They were suitable for every situation in life.
0: A lot of people, whether they have dyslexia or whatever it is, they'll get some extra time in their exams and there are certain supports in place. But what people don't realise is, I think, how exhausting it is for kids in that Darren used to come home after a day in college have to go sleep for a few hours and then get up and study because you were just so exhausted. From- yeah, it
2: was, I remember getting essays or assignments and talking to people saying oh how long did you do that oh I got it out an hour and it might take me three hours to do the same yeah. amount of work or making notes on a certain topic it would take me multiples of the time it would take other people.
0: I think for me, what is amazing is you kept your eye on the prize and no matter how hard it was, and it was hard, that was really uh, hard. even though you say you found, you know, ways.
2: Oh, look, it was it was exhausting. I still remember going in in the morning at eight o'clock in the morning to go to my lectures and staying in studying until ten eleven at night, the library closed. I'd come home, sleep, eat my dinner, and then I'd be back up in my room studying. It was a different way of learning in medicine.
0: Yes. And I think it really did work. And I I think that's what's important for anybody who has issues is about playing to your strengths. Yeah, exactly. So what actually worked for you, say, in medicine was oral exams, speaking exams.
2: And that's the bulk of your results. You literally go to a patient, you talk to them, you examine them, and then you have to come out with a diagnosis and a management plan. And that's the learning in college as well. So for the first two years, it was the same book learning, do you know? But then once you yeah. get in the third year, you're on placements. And I remember some people fob them off. They'd never go in. But I would always go in every single day. You'd see the doctor doing something and you just pick it up like that. Whereas other people just couldn't, you know? Mm. And I think that was just playing to my strengths.
0: Absolutely. And similarly, like you won little prizes, et cetera, for, you know, surgery yeah. things, you know, because you you had that dexterity. But I want to as well... <laughs> The challenges don't stop here. Oh, don't. So Darren, anyway, is doing absolutely brilliantly, studying medicine. Delighted to be there. Very proud of him. Still very hard and all the rest.
2: Oh, yeah. Going into my finals. Of Finish
0: your finals, yeah. Finals
2: of my undergrad. So my, or 2010. So the first two years, you kind of do broad science topics and then you specialize. So I specialised in immunology, biochemistry and immunology. But in my final year of that, I was unwell again. And I was diagnosed with bronchiectasis.
0: Yes. It was actually after you finished your exams, you thought that you'd cracked some ribs. Yeah, I was playing football
2: and I thought I'd cracked a rib and I was getting quite short of breath and I had a lot of pain and I went to my GP and sent me to a respiratory physician and um, I got a, a CT and he diagnosed me with bronchiectasis. Now that diagnosis has been revised with new imaging so it's been changed to kind of a diagnosis of more severe asthma. Right. And I'm not talking asthma where someone gets a little bit short of breath. I'm talking severe life-threatening asthma where I'm on multiple medications and biologics, et cetera. I'm on about 10 different medications for it. Inhaler-wise, tablet-wise, injection-wise, biologic agents, all that.
0: Yeah, so when you... You're studying medicine, you're doing well. You still you're very prone to to get sick and when you do get sick you get very sick and you've had sepsis a few times.
2: is another tribe thing. I got accepted into a top 10 medical school in the world, um, yeah. Imperial College in London. But unfortunately, I- <laughs> got sick and you
0: did a year over there and that, that was very scary yeah scary yeah. yeah hearing you on skype and you couldn't breathe thankfully you were living in the grounds of a hospital and someone yeah. brought you into the hospital in. I,
2: I ended up going home but determination i i managed to get accepted into trinity got not one medical school but two medical schools started all over again and going through that i suppose I had my hurdles going through that but look got to the end got to final year
0: And just as you were going into final year, your brother actually got married, and you were best man,
2: man and uh...
0: (laughs) and got diagnosed the day before the wedding.
2: Yeah, with with best man, yeah, the day as before, I had a severe pneumonia. (laughs) (laughs) I remember walking across. I parked (gasps) on, if people know Dublin well, I parked in Jervis Street, and had to walk over to City Hall. Think a walk that should have taken me 10 minutes took me about 45
0: minutes oh my goodness you were in some to mistake. get across and i
2: was in bits i was absolutely in bits i tried to cut down my best man speech from i had a, I had a long speech this long a long slagging session planned i had to cut it down into a i think it was a five minute speech because i just wasn't able to even put words together I, I was admitted to hospital for two weeks three days later this is about going into final year
0: You had, um, which was very scary, you had silent lungs, so you couldn't get oxygen into your lungs, basically, which was very scary. But then the Christmas of final year, you get influenza.
2: (laughs) I got the flu, yeah. And I ended up again in HDU that year as well. I ended up with a superimposed bacterial sepsis on top of it. So I ended up in HDU again. Lucky I didn't need to be intubated, but I was quite severe. I was in for about two weeks again, and then another month at home, where I had to have a nurse call out three times a day, and a doctor came out kind of every three days to check up on me.
0: And then two months after that, you do your final exams, final exams and yeah. you get them. Yeah. I'm sorry, folks. I know he's my son, but I just am incredibly proud. I think any mother would be incredibly proud of a son who qualifies as a doctor because it's not easy. But I think you'll agree that the challenges that Darren has had to face are just pretty incredible. So he's now working as a doctor and doing very well. You're on your TV training scheme.
2: scheme. So like the challenges didn't stop there. I mean, when I was doing my intern year, which is a notoriously horrible year i did um a rotation in neurosurgery Mm -hmm. Um, and it was great i got to do some pretty cool stuff but the challenge is there with 100 hour weeks you'd be in at six in the morning you'd leave till 10 at night and some days you wouldn't even get lunch you wouldn't pee during the day
0: When you're immune compromised as well, that's just it's it's not good. And actually, don't get me started. I mean, there is absolutely no reason that interns and young doctors should have to work those hours and then they work nights and they're responsible for making life and death decisions. And when you're sleep deprived, you cannot assess risk properly.
2: something after like about 20 hours of being awake. It's the same as being three times over the legal limit.
0: It's it's just a ridiculous situation. I Health services all over the world. I don't know why you do it. It really has to stop. But what I want to say to you, Darren, is, I mean, obviously, you're only starting your life. You're 31 now.
2: 31, yeah. Um, I love how you had to ask me that.
0: Uh, yeah. <laughs> I love how you had to
2: clarify that. You should know.
0: <laughs> um, but you've achieved and overcome so many things. I'm exhausted
2: just thinking about them
0: all. Yeah, I'm exhausted after just talking to you. So you definitely have shown yourself to be a survivor in actual the physical sense because you've survived so many illnesses where you were at that very sort of dangerous level, but you've gone on to thrive. Can you, I mean, just for people listening, like what would be your tips to people? Because everybody has challenges in life. Yeah,
2: everyone has their own challenges. After that infection in the one we talked about in my final year of medicine, I had to receive large amounts of steroids. And since then, I've had a huge challenge with my weight. I don't know if people know, but steroids are diabetogenic or they're they're, basically, oral steroids are fine and you should take them when you need them as prescribed. But the level of steroids I needed, and because I was so unwell, I couldn't take them orally. I had to get them IV.
0: You came home on 17 medications and they had to be taken at, this one had to be taken this way and this one this way and this one at this time. It was so complicated.
2: You had to do a flow chart for me.
0: (laughs) I had to do an Excel sheet. Listeners will know if you listen to my episode with John Boyne that I love Excel sheets. But this one, we had to make an Excel sheet just to cope with the amount of medications that you were on.
2: Yeah, I was on, I think, 17 or 18 different medications multiple times a day. What I was saying was, you jumped the gun there. So I had to receive large volume intravenous steroids, 200 milligrams of hydrocortisone, which is, it's a high dose. And with steroids, they're diabetogenic, so they can predispose you to diabetes, raise your blood sugars, but IV steroids will cause you to gain huge amount of weight. I think I went into the hospital at about 85 kilograms, and I came out at 100. And I had battled with that for a while. It's one of the battles that I've recently overcome. I've managed to, in the last kind of two months, I've managed to, to overcome that challenge. I managed to lose 10 kilos in weight. I have put my head down for that. Like this is a challenge that a lot of people struggle with. I just put my head down. My partner has helped me hugely with meal planning, et cetera, like that. Exercise. With the severe asthma, I found it so hard to exercise. You know that. You've heard me walking up the stairs before, Mum. Yeah. When I've been bad. I can I take it three steps at a time and you come out and say, are you okay? I've been unable to put words together. Last week, I cycled 100 kilometers straight in one cycle at 30 kilometers an hour. So I really pushed myself. But I've taken control of my health. That was a huge challenge. And the only way I was able to do that was sheer goddamn doggedness and determination. I remember when I first started cycling, I'd get up on the bike and I'd do 5k and I'd be exhausted. I'd have to go to bed after it. But the next day I got it, I put my head down and I went... The analogy I always have for how I approach a challenge is it's like rolling a rock up a hill, but the higher up you get, the heavier that rock gets. You're going to get challenges. You're going to go overcome a bump and that rock is going to roll some of the way back down. You run after that rock, you catch it, you stop it, and you push it back up the hill again. And that's the way I view every challenge. Yeah, I might find it hard. I'll just stop the boulder and it might take me two or three weeks, but I'll start pushing that boulder up the hill again. And that's the way I approach every challenge and every hurdle that hits me in life. Reach out for support. Like your loved ones are there. They care about you. They might not understand what you're going through, but they will be able to help in their own ways. Everyone's able to help. You were able to help me with my planning and organization. Dad was able to help me with learning life, I would say. And you just have to say, look, reach out to someone. I'm having a problem with this. This is where I am right now. I want to get to here. How do I get to here? Yeah. But at the end of the day, You have to be determined to do it. Other people aren't going to do it for you. You're the person that has to get from point A to point B with that boulder up that hill.
0: And do you think the reward is worth it, Darren?
2: Absolutely. The hard work. Absolutely. Everyone nowadays wants instantaneous reward. You're not going to get that, but you can have your own individual goals. Every Tuesday morning, I weigh myself. After every cycle, I look at how many watts I produced going up this hill. Okay, the hill is hard. Okay, and then sometimes you'd have colleagues cycling up the hill beside you, and they'd be saying, "Come on, Darren, there's no, there's no rush. You get up to the top of this hill. The reward is at the top. The reward is going down that hill at 50 kilometers an hour. The excitement <laughs> you get going down that hill at 50 kilometers an hour. But well, you've got to go up the next one." Yeah. Similarly, with the exercises, like if I can push the boulder to there, I'll go up on this pay grade, or I will be able to no longer have to work nights. I will no longer have to work weekends. I will have the lifestyle that I want. Or I will be get to the position where I will be able to treat the patients the way I want to treat them. Or I will be able to run my practice the way I want to run it because I believe that will allow me do best for my patients. So everything in just in life, in every aspect of life.
0: Any mother listening, any parent listening knows how challenging it is to see your child struggle and to see when bad things happen to them or they're faced with challenges. And I just think Darren got way more than his fair share. And sometimes it's just blown me away with how he has picked himself up, dusted himself off and started again.
2: One thing I do want to add is just because someone doesn't want your help right now, they might want to hold that bowler themselves just to show that they can hold it, but in a couple of days' time, they want your help, but they might be too proud to ask for it. So don't stop offering the help. Just because they said no the first time, offer again, because I know myself that sometimes when I've been holding that boulder for weeks, I just need that little bit of help to just get it going up again.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really good point, Darren, because there were times as well where you were very stubborn, where I could see um, things. Objectively. <laughs> yeah, you still are. But I could see things objectively. And I'd say, Darren, is that the wisest choice for now? Because it is about making the right choices for you and identifying your strengths and working with those. But I do think the point that you make is very good, because often we offer someone help and feel a little bit insulted if they say, no, thank you. And you say, well, feck them. I offered them that help. But I think it's a very, very valid point that Darren made is we never stopped. There was times when you said you didn't want help, but we did never stopped asking you again. People out there struggling in any way, if you've offered them help and they've refused, don't take that as a no forever. You can always offer again or let people know because it's easier to offer help than it can be to ask ask for help sometimes. So keep offering and at the very worst, you'll just get, no, I'm okay, thanks. Darren, thank you so much. Um, It's been a rather strange experience, but also nice. Different different from your other
2: interviews anyway, I'd say.
0: Yeah, yeah, well, it is. Yeah, you mean you don't listen to my podcast? (laughs) Oh, I do.
2: I do. (laughs) Um, Not some of them. Some of them I skip past certain parts. You are still my mother.
0: Yes, I am indeed still mum, and a very proud one at that. My name is Sabina Brennan, and you have been listening to a very special episode of Super Brain, the podcast for everyone with a
1: brain.